0: Welcome to Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave, always airing first on WPVMLP Asheville 103.7 and streaming online, wpvmfm.org, the Voice of Asheville heard all over the world and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio, coming out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you, Walter Parks, for our theme song. WalterParks.com for more on Walter's music. Thank you Devine Dial for managing WPVMFM there in Asheville and Robin Collier for managing KCEI Cultural Energy Radio in Taos, New Mexico. If you would like to reach me Nave at jamesnave.com. Nave is spelled N A V E. And we are sponsored by the Imaginative Storm Writing Project. If you would like to improve your writing chops and connect with a terrific writing community of Inspired people from all over the world, imaginativestorm.com is a good place to to go to start that search. Today, I have a fellow on. I've never really met him before in person. We've only talked once on Zoom. He lives in California. His name is John Valenzuela, and he's a psychotherapist, a psychologist, a student of humanity. He's also a student of, of dreams. And he loves to engage in questions about reality and what is perceived reality, what exists in between things. And I know this because when John and I were on our first Zoom call, it went on and on and on. So even though I haven't met him in person, I feel like we are getting to know each other. So let's continue that process right now. John, welcome to Twice Five Miles Radio.
1: Thank you so much, Nave. I really appreciate this opportunity to talk with you. I I really also enjoyed our conversation last week.
0: Well, let's continue. I would like to open by telling you about the dream I had last night. And the reason I want to tell you that is because in our conversation previously, we were talking about dreams. And I say, well, sometimes mine are very... Very dramatic. And so I had another dramatic dream last night. I was traveling. I was in an old car. I ended up in a village somewhere in the mountains, maybe my own homeland, Western North Carolina. And I, I parked my car and couldn't find it. So I was going through these apartments full of people trying to find my car. And I met all of these people that directed me in this direction or that direction. And and finally I sort of spotted it at a distance. And decided I didn't want to bother anymore, so I woke up. So that was my dream. Now, I'm not asking you to evaluate this dream as much as it's a lead into why dreams can inform our creative work. How do they feed us? Are all dreams equally important? Does one dream signify something more than another? Let's start there in the creative process and build out. So please, John, help me out here. I'm lost in my dreams state.
1: (laughs) I I wonder how you did wake up. Like what emotional experience were you having found, having found a parking spot, but not being able to get there?
0: Well, it was because I was trying to go somewhere else and Mm -hmm. I was feeling stuck and thwarted by the, not the labyrinth of the dream, but by all of the elements that were in the dream and it was dripping with ancient atmosphere, Mm. you know, it's like, Oh, these, this is an old town that's been around for a long time. Might be a town one might travel through Mm. going in the mountains and you go through this town. And I don't really remember everything about it, except when I, encountered somebody I felt hopeful but then after a bit of engagement with that person I felt well maybe this is more thwarting me than helping me find my conveyance to where I wanted to go which I never I never arrived at where I wanted to go because I woke up I said well I just can't deal with this anymore it's it's almost dawn anyway I need to have get up and have a cup of coffee
1: <laughs> nice oh well what the audience can't see is your. Your beautiful facial expression and your hand motions, as you were traveling into that dream, as if your body was there with you, right? And come, your hands were traveling down. You're kind of flowing with your hands through the mountains, and so oftentimes, oftentimes, these dreams are connected to our body. I feel that there's an amazing, just residue of what we're experiencing in our somatic selves that comes into dream and has no other way to communicate, but through that image. So that image of you in this old car and this experience going through these ancient mountains, there's two references there to to something old. And so I would wonder like with you in the creative process, how to get into that old place and still find where you're going.
0: Well, how would one do that? And why would the old place be valuable for the creative process? And is it something to be afraid of? Is it something to dive into Mm. that old sensibility? Mm -hmm. And when you go into the old sensibility, can you make it new through the creative process?
1: It's a beautiful question. I love the way you phrase that. And what I reminds me of through the training that I had at a graduate school is about shadow. The shadow archetype. And the shadow archetype gives us an experience of something that thwarts us that we don't want to look at, that's dark and in old and it comes from an emotional place too. To also that, as Jung said, we have to confront our shadow to integrate, to re-emerge, to develop our consciousness and individuation. So I think it's the polarity of those two things in this dream that give us a sense that yes, it is dark and maybe I don't want to go there, but also there's something very valuable in that.
0: And I don't mind the darkness. It's intriguing for me. And in fact, I look forward to dreams like the one I described to you. I have a series of dreams that happen that have these elements in them. Sometimes they happen in the old, oldness of an urban environment. And Mm. the conveyance is a train. And sometimes the conveyance is a car. Occasionally, I'm able to fly. And sometimes I'm just walking.
1: Mm.
0: And, and the town that I've spent the most old time in is Paris, France. Mm. And Paris is ancient. It goes way, 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 way back. And mm. it's full of all of the spirits of antiquity.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I think I'm transferring some of that into my dreams as well. Mm -hmm. and do we dwell on this john do we just have it like i've had these dreams for a long time i really love having them i don't evaluate them though i I don't do anything except just have them and then when i have a chance to have a conversation with somebody that actually can do the heavy lifting of the dream work (laughs) which you spend your life doing professionally it's it's really exciting for me to engage because i know i can throw these variations out and you're like well i've heard all this before or some version of it and so you can you can pick it up and play with it
1: exactly and i I appreciate the fact that you brought it into a series this particular dream into a series of dreams that that throughout your lifetime or maybe over the past five to ten years who knows that this kind of town these kinds of old structures these kinds of you know Familiar musty places, you know, you said you had a great uh, memory uh, for, for I believe for, for uh, olfactory for sense of smell, you know, I would I, and this is where the dream work really brings us forward. As you look back into the series you take those changes and see what is being updated. So you, you mentioned different types of transportation. In one dream, there may be you flying up above or through and integrate or a train that kind of goes, maybe it's elevated, maybe it's below. I love the symbols of the city too. The city is a representation in many respects of what we call the great mother archetype. So I get really excited about those feelings and experiences of the archetypal mother and being held and comforted in such a way where we can now travel leisurely or into the dark tunnels in those dark spaces bringing it forward to your latest dream you're driving a car so i would ask you know what sort of motivational forces are within you right now that you feel like compelled to get through and that you're in control of how has it changed over time in your life
0: that's an interesting question john because i am in my 70s and i'm engaged in all kinds of creative work doing mm-hmm. a lot of poetry a lot of work like we're doing right now on mm-hmm. this on this show and i've been engaged in a lot of conversations with friends who are challenging me in the best sense of one is challenged rise up mm-hmm. expose yourself open up to to the things that make you feel uncomfortable explore mm-hmm. those Those uncomfortable things, the body issues, Mm. issues of age, issues of relevance, issues of just being in the world, knowing that death Mm. is coming Mm. every day. It's coming. Funny enough, it's coming as fast for all of us. The length of time, Mm. you know, is is different for each of us, but the speed of the time is the same. Mm. And so Mm. that's why I'm excited about this conversation around dreams. And I do find that as much as I think I'm fully fluid and open and and maybe more and more every day, I keep bumping in to these obstacles mm-hmm. psychologically that I bump into in the dream. So here we are back to reality. This may be your point, my friend, I believe.
1: That's right. Back to the old places, back to the old unconscious places that have you know, been left aside in in the face of everything that you want to get through in the present time into the into the future the old places represents those dark passages of our life that can bring us down and not allow us to move forward i love the, the metaphor here in this dream it feels like a return and, and in this whole series as a matter of fact it feels like a return to something in life and the return references a lot of different material in the archetypal language because you're, there's the archetype of the way also, and that means it's the journey of life. It could be the hero's journey, and that's what the motive behind that car experiences. i got to find this place. I need to go. But no, Nave, the dream is saying, what's in this parking place? What would it mean for you to park here for a while, in this ancient town, in these old mountains? What sort of and mountains is a symbol of reference to wisdom?
0: Because I've been thinking about how much I've done throughout my life. All of the things that have transpired. And some of them I have just stumbled along, not appreciating the gifts that I have been given. And others I've really done a tremendous amount of appreciation and, and moved forward. And so now we are at at wisdom. Mm-hmm. And and I maybe we're always at wisdom. Wisdom is not something that you just manufacture one day. It's an acquired momentum into the knowledge in the world in collaboration with the experiences and the knowledge that bubbles inside of all of us. So each of us have a set of knowledgeable references that we can choose from. And then the wisdom is that whole combination of things. So I have been thinking that one of the ways to appreciate the wisdom and the knowledge we have is to do an inventory of what really, really works in one's life. Also in that inventory of what works, you do come up with the dark places like the spots I bump against when I'm trying to explore the notions of love. And I mean, love in the biggest sense of how one holds that. The, the love of the love affairs that we have the affairs of love in the world so i'm thinking of all of that i would like for you to reflect on your view of how wisdom plays out in all of this and what it means
1: I'm verklempt, you know, I'm like getting chills up my spine. And, uh, you, you just mentioned something that I've been writing about for two, three years now. And I've had a sort of an affair with ideas, but to say that my affair with the ideas stems from my, my first love of, of Jung, then I had to take a little detour from Jung for a while and came across interpersonal neurobiology, which is Dr. Dan Siegel's work. And, and he became my my little crush for a while. This is, goes into neuroscience, which is another passion I've had. The, the language you used, the affair, is the title of the chapter I've used for this book. It's a nice synchronicity. The title of the book is Dreams of the Heart, Finding Love in Every Dream. The bottom line, I think, of all dreams is to find love. So, what I, I would mention that to, to say, with the wisdom that we are creating together in this dialogue, in this interpersonal, intrapsychic experience of meeting through Zoom, is your right brain and my right brain just connected in in this language of of love and, and dream in a way that, like you said, we don't really know each other. So. But there you are and here i am and we're sharing these experiences and like i said when i had that chill rise up my spine my somatic experience went up into my right brain and it goes yes 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 this is true 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 and when you said an inventory you want to create an inventory for yourself that's to me is like a list of things that you've learned in your life all of those things in the left brain, which is categorical, which is language, which in for most people, are you? Depending, it doesn't really matter if you're left or right-handed, but the metaphor is beautiful because then what you're gonna do with that is give that back over to your right hemisphere. And the right hemisphere is gonna go, ah, oh, yeah, but you know, I've got some other things going on. I, I love this stuff, but I really wanna integrate this more into my life. Hemispheres are intuition, which is evaluating the list and the things you've learned and going, I I can do this from a different sense. I leave you with that as a reflection on what you just said.
0: The right and the left brain. Lately, I've been working with the idea of the imaginative storm to the creative form. I've actually been working with that idea as a writing principle for a long time. Mm -hmm. Letting the imaginative mind do the stormy, juicy inventory work, if you will, that's not controlled by anything other than the imaginative process, which matches the stormy world that we live in, a storm of the best sense, in the best sense of the weather conditions. And then the rational mind Mm -hmm. being available to to receive from an organizational point of view, all of the material that gets generated in that swirly imaginative kaleidoscope process. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the, the, the rational mind the the left brain gets a bad rap because it's always supposedly in the accountant office, and I I I'd love to I'd love to be able to add like the accountants add. Can you talk about the idea of the imaginative process, the left brain, and the the collaborative opportunities the right brain has to mesh so that it becomes a, a one functioning proposition mm-hmm. rather than so separate like we tend to. Talk about in the creative conversations that so many people have.
1: Yes, and, and, and maybe a little detour into mental health provides a, the, the scope of what we're talking about, because I know a lot of people when they get stuck in either left brain or a right brain sort of way, they anxiety is flooding. I don't know what to do with this information. Where does it go? And maybe even in your dream, that dream of finding the parking space comes back to me. It's like, do I park? Do I, do I continue my journey? I need to do something with this information. And if we're left brain oriented and sort of cognitively based, trying to solve a problem, we might find a problem. We're smart. We know the problem set. We can analyze and do lots of things. But then that the right brain is responsible for the relationship piece. And the body piece, the coming up piece. So I want to make sure I'm right. Now the left brain, if it just solved the problem, it doesn't know if it's right or not.
0: How do you know you're right? What kind of physical tingling happens that would indicate this is the right course? The river has no problem knowing the right course. Mm -hmm. Down the hill it goes. We, on the other hand, tend to, flow a little less uh gracefully
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. we yes the chaos and river of the banks you know so if we land on a bank called chaos and this is a a seagull term as well but you brought in the river so we want to flow in the river of integration so what how do we know it's right when we're in the flow when we feel the connection when we literally our body can, can absorb the 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 energy and, and not land in the rigid side of, of thinking.
0: So when we are in the flow, and I'm hoping everybody listening has at least had that experience once, what are some of the physical field signs? the The bird watcher would be able to see through the binoculars if they're looking at the species, us. What yes. does the physical body look like when you're in the flow? What expressions? And I think i know the answer to this but i'd love to hear what you have to say
1: two affects that come to mind for me in their affects their emotions that's curiosity i'm going to ask questions i'm going to be with it i'm going to learn from it i'm not going to block it or, or, or disrespect it i'm going to engage it the other one is joy i'm getting a sense of like this is so exciting i want to feel into this more i'm i'm loving this experience That's when I know I'm in the flow. That's when I know I'm into something that feels right and true.
0: I'm thinking about the flow as something that we all aspire to, that we all get into now and then. Would the flow be something one would want to be in all of the time? Hmm. I don't know. I've never thought of it like that. It's like I'm in the flow 24 hours a day. Or is the flow something that is one of those gifts that comes or one of the rewards that we get for allowing ourselves some expiration. Like, for example, question in my dream, do I ditch the car? <laughs> I'm looking for the car, but do I just ditch the car and go on my way? I mean, I, I woke up, so I didn't ditch it or not. It just left it there. In a sense, I did ditch it because I woke out of the dream, but I'll probably come back to the car again in the dream because the conveyance keeps reappearing. Mm -hmm. How do you know what to do there?
1: People with histories of trauma, difficult relationships, it's it's hard to stay in the flow. I mean, the flow can be a manic episode. (laughs) The flow can be all fantasy and no reality. We, we want to find our place in the world and we have to connect and stop and listen and take in our five senses. We have to be with the nature of the environment that is living in ordinary reality.
0: So finding our place in the world, I think is important. That may be a species imperative. We need to find our place. Hmm. I need to know where I belong. I need to know when I knock on the door, someone will open. Robert mm-hmm. Frost said in Death of the Hired Man, home is where when you go there, they have to let you in. And it's about a man who was an employee of the farm and the husband and the wife are talking about him and he's dead in the poem and there's grief around it. But he says, well, Silas wanted to go home. He knocked at the door. We have to let him in. So we do want to find home, and we do want to find a place. Or at least I do, and I think I'm rather ordinary in that way. Why wouldn't everybody else want that? And I talk to a lot of people who who say, I just, I just want to be cared for. I just want to belong. I just want to have people uh, cherish me. Do you think that the world right now seems unruly? Do you think it is as unruly as we think it is? And if and if it is, what's your take on how we have lost our way around finding that belonging, that home, that place?
1: There's so many interesting parts to how to respond to this question. One is is this idea of being cherished by others, and in, in finding a place where people will know who you are and connect with that original sense of self, that original place in your, in your, in your psyche that goes back to whether it's childhood or maybe it's even a trip or a relationship that, you know, if you're there, you're, you're taken care of. And part of my research in this book is to, I, in both Jung and Siegel have parts of their theoretical models that engage with what we call identity. The identity of a group of people that we feel we belong to, and they accept us and and a part of me is also a psychologist and knows that we want to feel that love when we're there, but we don't really know if it's going to be reciprocated. We don't really know. We have to be open and available and, and also know in relationships, once we get into that community, that mm, it's not all secure, safe, and warm. That there's going to be the shadow elements, these difficult parts of other people that are going to be broken and splintered and not be able to connect with us. So, so part of the worldview in that is like, yes, I want to be cherished. And part of the cherishing fact is that I need to cherish other people. So I can be that place of home for other people.
0: What about cherishing yourself as well? Is that the hardest to learn or is it something that comes natural once you consider it as a, possibility.
1: I want you to almost repeat that question. And I, I want you to give me what you've, what your thoughts are on that.
0: Well, the question is, what about cherishing yourself? Is that something that comes natural or mm-hmm. is it hard to learn? And then when you do start to get a sense of cherishing yourself,
1: mm-hmm. does
0: it come easier and easier as the cherishing, Continues is cherishing a, a medicine mm. that one can uh, increase definitely by and, allowing it.
1: And in dreams are a, a beautiful way into this exploration. And I want to talk about compassion just briefly, but I also want to talk about how we're conditioned in this world. You know, we're not conditioned. unless you're from environments or families, that give you this permission, is to be safe looking in, into the sense of self. What does it mean to be in your body? What is this connection between self, mind, and body that feels right, that feels true? And until that's safe, it would be hard to use that inner work to develop a medicine that shows compassion for a self or a true self.
0: You asked me to reflect on my own question. I asked the question because I do feel like when one cherishes oneself or when I cherish myself, but my cherishing often has some fragmented edges. Mm. It's not as smooth as I would like for it to be. Here we are, maybe back to the dream and the car and do you ditch the car and all of that. Mm. And I've not really thought about it. I, I do ask that question or I think about it a lot. And occasionally, if I have an opportunity to put it in a conversation like the one that we're having, I'll do it. Right. Put yourself in the front burner. Put yourself first. Mm-hmm. And yet that that cherish does have some edges around it for me. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm even seeing the image of a skill saw and the, the sharp edges around the skill saw blade that spins so it mm-hmm. cuts but if you don't have the skill saw in the saw spinning a skill saw blade would make a perfectly good plate to eat organic food on
1: mm-hmm.
0: no danger at all there it sits on the table
1: mm-hmm. so
0: so i thank you for asking that question and giving me the opportunity to say hey there are a few edges around my cherishing
1: that's right in vulnerabilities, edges to me create danger, danger for myself, danger for potentially other people.
0: With that awareness. And again, I'm staying, this is becoming, well, why wouldn't it become personal? These are personal, conver- this is a personal conversation that people are listening in on and the goal for what I like to do in this show is to have these opportunities also to offer people who listen some insight on how they can engage as well so i'm often trying to engage these thoughts with the creative process and i am aware that when i sit down and do creative work that sharpness tends to soften hmm or maybe if something is sharp, then it grows dull rather than soft.
1: <laughs> I love that. And, and what I, this is, I'm putting on the therapist hat just a little bit, not to make that, uh, you, you may have your own therapist, but I appreciate your self-reflection that this feels personal. This feels deep, deeper, like there's an emotional edge here. And I sort of saw it come over your f- face, Navi. It's like, oh, let me take a deep breath into this and let me feel into that. That's where that somatic piece comes back. And that's where the vulnerability comes back. That's where we can then apply our logic brain to go, what is this? Where do I go with this? Where do I park with this?
0: <laughs> well, I'm I'm, I, I'm smiling and I'm, I'm excited because I love conversations like this. I have been, in a conversation with a friend of mine for quite a while. And she and I have talked a great deal about honesty. And when she first started talking about it, because she's studied it, she spends a lot of time and thought around what is, what are the ethical requirements I have to be as honest as possible with people and this and that. And I noticed when she first started to push me to really do an appreciative inquiry into what honesty means. So she asked me to think about it. And I, I have always thought I was really honest, but the more I think about honesty, the more I realize that it's a, that the, that the H is lowercase. Mm-hmm. It's no grand drama. I'm honest with you. Mm-hmm. It's more like, okay, how can I find my way into that feeling that seems true in the moment mm-hmm. thus the blade, the plate the sharpness, the dullness the, the car in the in the dream and so in this conversation I'm attempting to find an honest way to address the way we're unfolding this honesty, reflect please a bit on that
1: amazing, amazing, again yeah that's The insight function of, you know, to to live in honesty, in the emotion, is emotion. That's an emotional place. And it goes back to the left brain, right brain sort of thing. The left brain doesn't know. This is a neurological experience, too. I know something. I know some information. But there's a sense of knowing that honesty lives in.
0: You're suggesting with this sense of knowing... I know, I know that I am having an interview with you. We're talking right now. I know this, you know, I know there's a water bottle on my table. So that's rather dimensional. Here's the water bottle. I'm holding it up. You can see it in the screen as we're on the Zoom call. The sense of knowing goes way beyond the cool water bottle I'm touching right now. How close is that sense of knowing Or what kind of relationship does it have to the collective consciousness am i absorbing other things besides my own ability to collate all of this these questions
1: it's it's again yeah you're you're tapping sort of these energies now physics has a way to funnel this information jung had a definite way and yogians have a definite way to funnel this information into the collective unconscious which is a pool of energy that has these primordial sort of versions of something so powerful that when we tap into it we know the experience is worth having and but most of consciousness exists at the edge of of the thoughts the feelings the experiences we're having we rarely ever go to the depth of what a physicist called the plane of possibility or the open plane of possibility and connecting to that energy that is undifferentiated, but it feels like we can be with it for a momentary piece of time. This goes back to your question of flow. We, if we live in the archetype, if we live in that place of the, of the uh, plane of possibility, the open possibility, we can drown. We can lose ourselves. You know your friend. I, I might imagine she's a bit of a guide in your life. I want to come back to your dream. Where is the guide in your dream?
0: That's a very good question. I am seeing vines.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm seeing vines. I'm not questioning why I'm saying vines. Uh, the vines in my dream. Are somewhat visible. It's a bit like the Spanish moss that dangles from the live oak trees along the coasts of Virginia, North and South Carolina, through Georgia, down into Florida, all up and down the vines. And they're there dangling. And I'm seeing them. And until now, they've just been in the atmosphere. So, my friend, maybe one of those vines
1: Mm.
0: and, and we've taught each other back. it's not like it's a, it's not a one-sided thing. And of late, I've just started to think, okay, I can appreciate the teaching part of our conversation that she's bringing into the frame. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Vines, John. Yes. Vines. I don't know what vines mean. You, you know more about (laughs) this than I do.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, oh my gosh, that is amazing. I don't even think you mentioned that detail at the beginning of the, of the, when you started the dream. Um, but now that you're in the dream or we're in the space, you're feeling, and I asked this question, which kind of came out of my intuition too. I wasn't going, well, now that you should have a guide in that dream, but it's just sort of a, was referenced naturally. And, and again, this is the, the experience I'm having. Talking with you is just going into that visuals metaphor of the dream and and living in that a little bit and then what lived in our experience and then yours was the vine was and the vines are, are beautiful references to um, the the lady of uh, the plants the lady of the plants is another image for transformation and the great mother so so the great mother is the guide or you know she's there comforting you witnessing you come back to this old mountain and 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 searching for a sense of belonging and she's there waiting waiting for you in a beautiful way growing
0: and i think of the idea of vines in the rainforest mm. the vines in the rich areas and i'm also thinking of the veils that people wear and gossamer veils and the spider web, all those things that are in between the vines. Because the vines aren't solid, they're in between. And I'm thinking of my mother, whom I had a terrific relationship with, fabulous relationship for 60 years. She left this earth when she was 93. She was a very well-read, thoughtful, Jeffersonian, level-minded person. Woman with more references than anybody I've ever met. If she were in this conversation, she would have reflections on the metaphor of the vines. Maybe neither you nor I would even think of. So, the mother, the vines, the mother, the rich earthy womb, the jungle has full of all of these creatures, myself and because the, maybe the whole world is that rich, beautiful jungle that can be anywhere. And then I'm thinking of the collective consciousness again. You know, as humans, we're sort of narcissistic. Gee, the collective consciousness is only what we operate in. Which it's, it's, it's a human thing. Every little grain of sand is part of that collective consciousness. Every every spider, if I mention the web, why not mention a spider? Yay, spiders. All part of that. We can, in the knowing, dissipate. Sometimes we get blocked though, don't we, John? That's a problem, right? Like we don't know we have the door back to home is where, when you go, they, you, they have to let you in. The collective consciousness is where, when you go, they don't have to let you in. They being the collective consciousness Hmm. because What the collective consciousness knows is that you have been there all along.
1: Yes, that's right. That's right. you are in this zone with the mother, right? Bringing back the personal mother, knowing she was alive for 93 years and, and having all these references and, and then it shifted quickly into weight. It wasn't like I wasn't there. It was more like, but there's these edges back to the saw blade. That was an edge. That was a vulnerable detour in this conversation because could have been in that plane of possibility with the great mother archetype and feeling your own mother's embrace. You said she can't be here now, but she is here now in that space. So, and then it got to these edges and you're like, wait a minute, I'm maybe getting a little too deep, a little too, uh, I don't know what I could do with this. And there's the edge. It cut me out for just a minute. I'm back in now. So, but this is where we come back and, and work through, you know, why, what would it be? What would it mean to you to bring your mother back into this mountain space?
0: Well, the vine, the mother and the edge. So when you brought the edge back, you know, the blade, I hardened. hmm i'm no longer enthusiastic about being part of the collective consciousness because Uh i'm thinking what is that it makes me feel cut Mm -hmm. well now we have blood yeah and we have the bleeding the blood Mm -hmm. of course is the duende that's the that's the disturbance in the blood that Mm -hmm. makes the art Mm -hmm. you know people die for that the blood is the metaphor when it spews out that's a different kind of flow right so this the blade the edge disturbs my equilibrium which as it should
1: mm-hmm.
0: and we have to go into the edge mm-hmm. I hear the saw blade my grandfather, my father very strong my father harsh man, World War II veteran mm-hmm. they grew up and surrounded themselves with tools. Mm-hmm hard edge tools, the saw, the drill, mm-hmm. the chainsaw that cuts the tree down, makes mm. the mother forest out mm-hmm. and leaves the pasture in the Amazon for the cows. Mm. Those men made things. Yeah. And the things all had metal hard edges. Conversely, yeah. my mother read philosophy, which is a different kind of hard edge
1: <laughs> all right <laughs> no into the intellect is couldn't be a hard edge for sure so this is the beauty of the of the human mind that we have the opportunity to go into these different places within the archetype of space and the collective unconscious space where you're know, sure we can be with the mother figure the nurturing loving caring but we also need to differentiate and this goes back to our left brain right we're there in the collective in the right brain the relational it's beautiful and then okay wait a minute there i can't be here that long i need to ground myself i need to find the edge and that's often father the warrior i can use my sword and cut down and redistribute and and that's that's a beautiful sense of self too
0: well back to the love back to the love structure and i'm looking at my clock and i see that we have just a few more minutes before we have to say goodbye. We've covered a fair amount of ground. We went to the jungle. We went to the collective consciousness. We went to the shop where the buzzsaw sat, mm-hmm. and we found the vines in the dream, and we, the car still parked. Will I return or not? <laughs> right. Would you take the next two or three, four minutes to sum up what we've, this journey that we've been on? Surprise, surprise. I said, I didn't prepare anything, John. We'll just take it where it goes. Please come back with to me with stuff to, to deal with. Well, you certainly rose to the occasion. Can you reflect a bit on what we've done? And as as we close out, I sad to say, sometimes everything I suppose has to end.
1: Hey, I'm, I'm only glad that this is being recorded, actually. You know, I'm going to go back and revisit this uh, recording and and probably learn from what I've said Uh, because, you know, we can only digest so much information at any particular time and and make choices about how we want to integrate that into our own understanding. So, but meeting somebody new and investing in their, uh, you know, effective mental health. Uh, with an appreciative inquiry, I love that term, to give this some depth, to give this some warmth, to give this experience and love has been an honor to say, you know, I I think that transformation, it's always with us. And so you have this uh, remarkable ability in in these these shows is to generate your own disclosure, is to bring yourself into these uh, experiences where you allow somebody like me to kind of live with for a minute. And that's a beautiful skill and a beautiful appreci- appreciation for the life that you live. I really do appreciate that. What, what neuroscientists will say, you've probably opened an emotional circuit that is somewhat um, related to some memory, not just the dream memory, but maybe a mother memory or a father memory. And if you were to take these feelings in, in that collective unconscious way, and, and have some dual awareness to some of those previous memories. And if I had another hour or two with you, I would say, let's go back into those memories and update those experiences. Because I then, then that memory, that affective memory, that emotional memory is gonna reintegrate into a new uh, set of feelings and a new set of thoughts.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for summing that up. One of my goals in this show. When I have an opportunity like this, it's absolutely delightful for me to just say, Okay, Nave, throw it in, man. Let's just go. Let's just go from one beat to the next and see where it takes us. And where I am right now, I, I am aware of a lot of things I didn't know before we started this conversation. I'm obviously, you're a therapist, you're skilled in listening. And I didn't come into this thinking, well, this will be a therapy session, but this is a good example of what two human beings can do when they, for whatever reasons, maybe the spirits from above sent us together or Donna Glee Williams sent us together, actually, but maybe she's a spirit from the above. Who knows?
1: She might be. She might be. (laughs) this.
0: This is willingness here to just be in the conversation.
1: Definitely.
0: And there's great value there. So, John, anything you'd like to say before we close, because we're getting close to that goodbye time?
1: Dream books, I just want to say really briefly, dream books give us a limited opportunity to develop curiosity about the dreams. and But conversation, dream groups, journal writing, allow us to reflect more deeply on how these experiences can come together and change us. Uh, personal growth, transformation, those types of things are are part of our human spirit and and part of our abilities to connect with other people. So I hope your audience got a sense of that today.
0: Well, John, I'm sure our audience did. Thank you ever so much for being on twice five miles radio. A Pleasure. And there you go, my friends. Thus concludes my conversation with John Valenzuela. And as usual, we have a few more minutes before the top of the hour, which will allow me to reflect on some of the things that John and I talked about before we close the show. I'd like to continue talking a bit about dreams. One of the things you've probably noticed about your dreams when you have a dream you don't compose it like you would a story you don't sleep there in your bed or wherever you are thinking about what will come next how will i build this narrative the dream builds itself on its own and yet because you're dreaming you're composing the dream with very little effort you are subconscious the collective consciousness whatever it was that john and i were talking about Provides you with the elements of the dream. Like in my dream, I'm in the atmospheric sort of old town. I park my car. I end up knocking on a few doors. Somebody answers the door. I move to the next door. Somebody answers that door. They say something that the person previously didn't say. So however your dreams unfold, if you're lucky enough to remember them, you will remember the dream as a narrative, almost as a story. Fanciful as it might be, and as impossible as it might seem, it's still there, you can still tell it, and you add a narrative to it as you tell it once you're awake. When you're asleep, and you are composing your dream in your sleeping consciousness, do you worry about what comes next? Do you think about whether you have it right or wrong? Do you think about if it's going to work in the narrative? Will this make a good story? No, you're asleep. You're just dreaming. You're making the story as you dream along. And I'm beginning to think there's a relationship between that phenomenon which doesn't seem to have any kind of internal criticism going on. Your dreams aren't driven by the internal critic that says, oh, that's not a very good story you're telling, or that's a terrible sentence, or whatever the internal critic says. Your dreams are driven by a a purity almost, a purity of flow that you are able to access in your dream state rather than in your conscious state. When you're awake, there's so much around to to cue you to go this way or that way. In your dream state, you just flow. I'm thinking it might be possible to transfer some of that flow into your waking state, into your writing process, You've probably heard people say, I just take dictation. I don't know where my writing comes from. It seems like the muse flies over and inspires me and I just write something. I'm listening, they will often say. I think there's a lot of truth to that. Of course, everybody has a different version of how that works, even though many people say more or less the same thing. So how do you apply that idea to your writing process? Maybe you haven't had that experience before. Does it come from somewhere outside or is it inside of you? Do your dream structures just rest during the day and come awake during the night? Awake, asleep, the contrast between the two. So what if you could practice connecting with the resting dream structures that are still there while you are wide awake? That would be an interesting thing, wouldn't it? So before we close, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. I'm sitting at a desk at Lake Eden Retreat in Black Mountain, North Carolina right now. Even though I record the shows in advance, I usually have time before the top of the hour, so I give a bit of commentary like right now. So here I am at the desk looking around the room, thinking about how I would write about this room. What would I say? And I use the verb say here because you can say something and write it down or you can write something down and say it. It works both ways. Now, I'm not saying that all writing has to be connected to the dream state flow. I'm just saying that that's a possible variable you can use when you generate material. I often use it as a way to warm up, to get myself just in the mood to generate imaginative work. I later maybe go logical, and then I go back to the dream state. So I'll go back and forth between the two. So here would be an example of the non-dream state flow thinking, which again is perfectly fine. I walked into this room about four days ago with my guitar in its tan case, a hardback case. I took the guitar out. I put it on the bench that's beside the small piano that could be a baby grand if it were larger. And the piano sits by a picture window that looks out on a meadow. And beyond the meadow, you'll see trees. And beyond the trees, you see the bluish ridge of a large mountain in the distance. Above that, the sky, the morning sky, dappled with white clouds. How about that? That's a nice description of a room. It was easy to do. Why was it easy to do? I was just describing what I saw. I was in my logical mind. I wasn't letting any of the dream state influence propel me, or at least I wasn't consciously allowing it. Maybe it was there, the dappled sky. Once you practice it, it flows back and forth, as I said. And in this flowing back and forth, you never know what's gonna pop up. You never know what you'll use. You never know what you will put to the side for later. You never know what you will reject and never come back to. Does it matter? No. There's plenty of stuff there to work with, and that's the whole point. Allow yourself to have that that generative enthusiasm that will give you the material you can use to craft later down the line. So we have just enough time for me to give you an example of what I mean by allowing the dream influence to happen. I'm going to look at the same scene, but I'm going to listen more closely to what just pops up. What happens, and you will notice this, it might not necessarily make logical sense like the first one did. So here we go. At last, my guitar, something I held dearly when I was a child, has never been lost. It came with me over all the years. In complete rest, I notice how it leans against the wall. Can you fold an hour? Oh, let me say, yes, please feel free. Fold the hour, take your time, even one note will consider you a song. So there you go, a very different piece of material generated from the same scene. And I will tell you that what you just heard was edited because when I was generating it, I sometimes would wait two or three seconds before I heard something, and that's what I said. So I trusted what came. Unlike the first time, I just looked at the scene, and described it, and it came out as is. This one is a little edited, so just know that this is not something that you need to do fast. You can wait till you hear something. The whole point is to trust what you hear, trust what bubbles up, and write it down. Strangely enough, It makes sense just like both of the pieces I just gave you. And on that note of making sense or not making sense, we have come to the top of the hour and I just want to say thank you ever so much for tuning in to Twice 5 Miles Radio, virtual ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering I'm your host, James Nave, always hearing first on WPVMLP, Asheville 103.7, streaming online, WPVMFM.org. The voice of Asheville heard all over the world. Thank you, Walter Parks, for our theme song, WalterParks.com. Thank you, Devine Dial, for managing WPVMFM, and Robin Collier. Thank you for managing KCEI, Cultural Energy, Radio out of Taos, New Mexico. You can always reach me, Nave, at jamesnave.com. I'd like to tell you we're sponsored by the Imaginative Storm Writing Project. If you would like to improve your writing, imaginativestorm.com is a great place to start that improvement. So, once again, thanks ever so much for tuning in, and hey, I'll catch you on that turnaround somewhere down the line.